Beth Bennett. And I'm Susan Moran. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2017. Coming up, we'll hear about new developments in individualized therapies for cancer, based on nutrition and personalized genetic analysis from our two guests. They're Dr. Nasha Winters and Jess Kelly from Durango, Colorado. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. If, like many of us, you had a bit too much to drink this weekend, you may be able to blame your morning after malaise on your microglia. What, you say? Microglia are a subset of the glial cells, the most numerous cells in your brain, that are nursemaids to the neurons. And those are the cells that do the processing work in the brain. But the microglia act as resident macrophage cells, that is, the first and main form of active immune defense in the central nervous system. In studies using both live mice and cultured glial cells, scientists found that after a high dose of alcohol, the immune response called inflammation was suppressed for about six hours. But 12 hours later, it bounced back with a vengeance as measured by a number of inflammatory markers which is probably why those two aspirin in the morning help to calm down the hangover. This study was reported last week in the journal Science Translational Medicine. Science gets a bigger voice, at least after one election. No, that would not be the U.S. presidential election. That would be France's. Newly elected French President Emmanuel Macron announced yesterday that a molecular genesist Geneticist turned university administrator will head the new Ministry of Higher Education, Research, and Innovation. And a highly respected physician scientist, Agnes Buzin, is France's new health minister. Both are women, as fully half of the new cabinet is. Buzin spent most of her career as a clinical hematologist studying leukemia and bone marrow transplantation at Paris Descartes University. A former president of the French National Cancer Institute, She has played many high-level science policy roles. And Frédéric Vidal, the new minister, research minister for science, spent most of her career at the University of Nice, where she focused on education and became university president in 2012. Well, maybe some U.S. federal scientists might be wondering if they could find jobs in France. Among the most mysterious and exotic objects in the universe, black holes tantalize everyone that learns about them. These dark beasts are one of a few phenomena out in the cosmos where the known laws of physics and general relativity break down. This week at Fisk Planetarium, a full-dome show titled Black Holes, The Other Side of Infinity, explores the power and grace of these cosmic creatures. The show airs Friday, May 26th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. See the Fisk website for details. And on the science calendar this week, tomorrow night, Café Scientifique in Denver will host marine scientist and author Dr. Mara Hart. Her presentation is called Let's Talk About Sex and Sustainability of the Sea. In fact, we had her on How on Earth last year when her book Sex in the Sea was published. In Dr. Hart's presentation tomorrow, she'll discuss the details of elaborate mating rituals of denizens of the sea and how these reproductive strategies are finely tuned to suit the lifestyle and location of a species. 
She will show how, in the last century or so, humans have begun to interrupt these intimate acts of the deep, with far-reaching consequences not just for the fish, but for us as well. Dr. Hart will present how new technologies and innovations are offering insights into how we can better manage our oceans and how we can all play a bigger role in supporting, rather than thwarting, successful sex in the sea. The Denver Café Scientifique will be tomorrow, Wednesday, May 24th, at the Brooklyn's Restaurant and Bar at 901 Aurora Parkway in Denver. It's across the parkway from Aurora Campus and next to the Pepsi Center. And it starts at 6.30. There'll be Q&A after Dr. Hart's talk. Come by at 6, though, if you want to leave yourself time to get some food and to socialize. The event will end at around 8 o'clock. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Beth Bennett. I'll be talking to the authors of a new book on cancer called The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. This is an encyclopedic coverage of new therapies against cancer based on personalized genetics, nutrition, and immune system activation. We have Jess... uh, Sorry, we have Jess Kelly on the phone, and we're trying to get... Uh, her co-author, Dr. Nasha Winters, on the line right now. But we'll start with you, Jess. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. This is exciting to have a Colorado practitioner on the line. And your book is an incredible compilation of so many different therapies. Maybe you could start off by talking about what you mean by the title, Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Yeah, so for years, we've really been looking at cancer through the lens of genetics, but more recent research is showing that only about 5 to 10% of cancers are caused by uh, genetics, whereas we're learning that the majority of cancers, you know, approximately 90%, are caused by diet and lifestyle. So by... Looking at metabolism and how our mitochondria work and our cellular function, uh, that's really this approach is more of a nutrition lifestyle type of way to look at preventing and also helping to navigate cancer. Right. So I looked into some of these um, ideas because for years, as a geneticist, I taught about the genetic (laughs) basis of cancer, and I have been learning a lot lately about how that approach is flawed. We don't need to go into that right now. But it's, it's remarkable to me that so many cancer cells share this same metabolic anomaly. That is, they just use glucose. And so some pretty simple dietary approaches can really function to shut down or even turn off cancer. So you you talk a lot in your book about some of these dietary approaches, and maybe you could talk about, and especially being a nutritionist yourself, what some of the basis and what some of your outcomes have been. Yeah. Well, we know that cancer cells increase their rate of glycolysis, so how much they consume sugar, but 50 to 100 times faster than healthy cells do. So by targeting that glucose metabolism through dietary therapies, 
it's a one way, it's one tool in the toolbox to help kind of diminish a fuel supply. And that can make cancer cells a little bit weaker. It also, recent research has shown that uh, doing dietary approaches, including the ketogenic diet, which has the body switch from burning glucose to burning ketones, when that's done in tandem with conventional treatments, including chemotherapy and radiation, can actually make those cancer cells more susceptible to those treatments. So it's really fascinating how using the ketogenic diet as an adjuvant therapy can really help uh, outcomes. And, you know, we've been doing this for, gosh, five years, six years before anyone was really talking about it. But thankfully, the ketogenic diet is gaining a lot more traction now. Uh, But I've had clients who have told me that they feel better on a ketogenic diet going through radiation and chemo than they did before they got cancer, which is startling. Uh, but uh, people really do, you know, for some people it works great. Other people, you know, it's, it's this is why an individualized approach is so important. But, uh, you know, we have clients who when they get into ketosis or keto-adapted, uh, they feel really good and they do better as they go through treatments than um, than people sitting next to them seem to do. So it's really nice to improve quality of life is a, is a big goal, of course, for people who are going through treatments that may be you know, kind of toxic. So uh, the results have been outstanding. And I have so many questions about the ketogenic diet. It just sounds like a potential miracle cure. But first of all, can you explain exactly what it is? Yes. So... Typically, the body runs on glucose, which is derived from the breakdown of carbohydrates. And most people's diets, certainly in the U.S., are very high in carbohydrates. Carbohydrates include grains, beans, uh, fruits, vegetables. Those are all carbohydrates. Sugars, of course, are a carbohydrate. Uh, a ketogenic diet is 75, approximately 75% fat. Healthy fats, we really emphasize anti-inflammatory fats because we know that so many cancers have roots in inflammation. So it's a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet. We have clients track their carbohydrate intake um, and then test their ketone levels. And it takes a few days to switch, for your body to switch. I, I use the analogy of switching from running on gasoline to running on diesel. It's your body switching fuel sources. So... When we reduce the carbohydrates or eliminate the carbohydrates, it's approximately 25, 20, 25 grams a day of carbohydrates, depending on the person, then the body starts to run on ketones. Uh, and, you know, there's a little bit of uh, evidence that's showing that, you know, healthy cells have the metabolic flexibility to switch from running on glucose to running on ketones, as humans have done for, you know, all of mankind's existence when we didn't have access to all the calories that we have today. But cancer cells may not have that much metabolic flexibility to make that switch, so it destabilizes them a little bit, which is what makes this diet really interesting. And so you mentioned that when um, individuals on this diet become either keto-adapted or in ketosis, that's when that switch occurs. And how do you assess that or measure that? Right. So you can test uh, three different ways. Uh, In urine, you can test with urine strips. Uh, to see if there's a presence of ketones. You can also test uh, blood tests, so similar to how you would test your glucose levels, which we like to have people also test their glucose levels because uh, research is finding there's sort of a sweet spot uh, for cancer 
really the most powerful anti-cancer effect of when ketones are uh, three or greater and glucose is 70 or below. So that's sort of where we try to get our folks if possible. Uh, so you can test those both with blood. And then uh, there's also uh, you can test ketones with breath. So there's a few different ways to test. So this uh, approach of the ketogenic diet suggests that some of the alternative nutritional therapies that I've read about, like vegan diets or macrobiotic diets, could actually be counterproductive with respect to cancer. That's right. And what we do in this book is we take a lot of time to very carefully, uh, with research, debunk um, a lot of the myths that are out there about cancer diets that are mainstream, uh, including the vegan diet, including uh, the Gershon diet, those type of things that people research online and find. And and certainly they have helped uh, people, but there's just not the research there to support it. And uh, our book has over 200 references from scientific papers. It's really important that we approach diet for cancer from a nutrition science perspective about how the body works. And, um, and it's nutritional requirements. So, yeah, we, we debunk several diets in our book and, and, and provide research behind that and explain why from a science perspective. So that was really important to us um, because some of these diets, uh, you know, vegan diets can be very high in carbohydrates. And over the years, you know, we've seen clients, you know, walk into our offices just really depleted. And, um, and, and so it's, uh, you know, there's a time and a place for things uh, from a short-term perspective, but um, it's, we look at the long-term nutritional requirements for folks. Well, your book and is amazingly, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> amazingly well-referenced. And um, for people that are looking into um, strategies and therapies for cancer, I, I think your book is a great resource. And I was curious if you have come across any clinical studies, you, you do have a lot of, of scientific papers showing the effects of the ketogenic diet and some of, and, and many of the um, alternatives that you suggest, but this is the kind of thing that, you know, who's going to pay for a clinical study on the ketogenic diet because really there's no money to be made for it. So I wondered if you know of any um, studies along those lines that are taking place now. Yeah, and in fact, there's clinical trials happening now with the ketogenic diet in tandem with conventional therapies. So it's really neat if you um, check out the NCI's website, they have a CAM section, Complementary and Alternative Medicine, and you can see different clinical trials that are happening with the ketogenic diet. So that's really exciting that it's being, you know, integrated into, uh, you know, sort of a standard of care with Western medicine. Uh, So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming out. Uh, and we're seeing it with clinical trials moving through the phases. So, yes, oh, it's happening. That is that is great news. And to our mm-hmm. listeners, if you just joined us, this is the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. I'm Beth Bennett, and we are speaking with Jess Kelly, nutritionist, co-author of a new book on the metabolic approach to cancer. Okay, so to get back to your book... One really interesting feature of the book, um, very effective, I thought, is that you divide the physiology of the body into a number of different systems that you call terrains. And I love that term. I, I like thinking of my physiological system in in that sense. Can you briefly define for our listeners what you mean by the terrain and give an example? Yes. Yeah. So... 
a lot of times in cancer, it's sort of approached as just a, a tumor-focused uh, look at it. So it's just a, you know, breast cancer or thyroid cancer and, uh, you know, sort of separating that uh, area of the body out and treatments according to that. But what we've done and really developed over the years, and certainly Nisha's been doing this for over 20 years, is when you look at the body as a, as a whole, right, so a holistic approach to, to this, it's because we know that cancer takes on, it's not just one thing that causes it. It's not just genetics. It's not bad luck, certainly with the rates that we're seeing today. So we look at the terrain and we have to look at a big picture because it's not just one cause and one target and one approach. It's multifaceted. And what we're finding is that, and, and researchers are saying, you know, we have to come at cancer from many different ways. So what we look at it, you know, we use the analogy in the book about the body as a garden. You know, there's there's the soil, which is our microbiome, and then there's the sun, which is our, you know, genetics and epigenetics, and everything's all connected. So it's basically our internal and external environment. So our Terrain 10 explores 10 different areas uh, of our physiology, <laughs> of our physiology, and uh, so that includes not just genetics, but epigenetics, so how our, how our genes respond to our environment. We look at the immune system. We look at hormones. We look at inflammation. We look at mental-emotional. Uh, so we look at many different factors that can contribute to the cancer process, and when we get them into balance, it, it, it can help to sort the whole picture. So at the beginning of the book, we have a quiz section where people can kind of start to identify areas of their terrain that may be out of balance. And they may say, oh, wow, my goodness, well, my hormones are, are a place that I should start and start to prioritize to look at. Maybe I'm getting exposed to lots of xenoestrogens in my environment. And, wow, that could be driving my cancer process to some extent. So it's really starting to look at our, at our internal and external environments uh, and, and how they contribute to cancer instead of just isolating a tumor. And so in your practice um, with Dr. Winters, who, of course, is a naturopath, do you work closely with oncologists and other medical practitioners, or do your patients tend to come to you because they're, they're having no luck with oncologists? A bit of both, a bit of both. And, uh, you know, we really try, you know, in, in my practice, I, every single like, nutrition plan that I give my clients, I provide scientific uh, paper references so that they can share that with their medical oncologist uh, because a lot of times, you know, sadly, the only nutrition advice that people get when they go to meet with their Western oncologist is, oh, eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And so we're really hoping this book helps to change that conversation because we know that it does matter. And uh, we want to work with uh with oncologists uh, together because we're never saying, oh, don't do your treatment, you know, your Western treatments. We're here to help complement those treatments, you know, if that's what people want to do. But, of course, over the years there have been people that say, oh, I've been through chemotherapy twice. I've had, you know, this is my third recurrence. I just, I don't want to go that route anymore. And um, so in that case, then we, you know, support them with uh, different tools 
natural medicine tools. So it's a little bit of everything that we that we see in practice. Right, right. And are you finding that you you did mention that you've been doing this for five years or so that oncologists are becoming more receptive to this approach? Yes. Yeah, it depends. I mean, some are really open and and some are not. And, you know, we, we can only do the best that we can do. And certainly the more that we can see, you know, studies and clinical outcomes, that helps to change the conversation. Um, Western medicine doctors aren't required to take nutrition in medical school. So it's just like I don't give advice about what kind of chemotherapy to take. You know, Western medicine doctors that don't have nutrition um, – may not be qualified to be giving nutrition advice, right? Right, so, um, right. We're all here to, to help support each other and what's in the best interest of, you know, of the patient. Right. Now, I know I got curious about this ketogenic diet uh, about six months ago, and so I've been trying to implement it. And um, I, I do find it difficult to implement on a consistent basis. Um, and what is your thought about, do you think it's, it's actually preventive in terms of cancer, or would you encourage people to take it on more as a treatment if you do actually have cancer? I think it's a very powerful preventative. And for folks who are just looking to prevent cancer, we kind of take it as a cycling. So maybe four times a year uh, to try to get into ketosis for a few weeks is very beneficial because there's anti-cancer effects of just ketones alone. So anti-inflammatory, different signaling uh, factors that happen. So it's very, very beneficial. We really recommend fasting as well to folks, and that can help get people into ketosis. There's some interesting research coming out showing that fasting can help to regenerate um, the immune system um, in as little as three days. So these are really powerful therapeutic modalities, and we have to think that it's nice to give the body a a bit of a break um, and also provide a good stress, which being in ketosis can be a, a, a beneficial stressor. Exactly. Yeah, I like to think of it as giving my mitochondria a vacation from all that <laughs> glucose. <laughs> exactly. So if, if you had to choose one thing to do for your health to lower your risk of cancer, what would that be? Oh, gosh, what a great question. Uh, I think the biggest thing is to reduce sugar. You know, p- over time, I think the stats where we were, we had our book release party last night, and we were talking to a very large crowd, and uh, that question came up. And, you know, when you look at the studies, the stats about, you know, at the turn of the century, you know, the average person was eating five pounds or less of sugar a year, and now the average American is consuming 170 pounds of sugar a year. It's just (laughs) mind-boggling. It is. Uh, But it's so seductive, and it's so easy to, to consume sugar. It's in so many things. I think that's the biggest thing is just being conscious about how much sugar we're, we're eating um, and reducing that while simultaneously, because people say, oh, you're the nutritionist, you're the no girl, don't eat this and don't eat that. I like to just focus on what you can eat and uh, trying to get as many vegetables in as possible too because we just don't eat enough vegetables. So, so if you're on the ketogenic diet, uh, you do eat a lot of vegetables, correct? Well, the focus is to keep carbohydrates as low as possible. Because vegetables are carbohydrates, um, that becomes tricky. And so in our book, um, I devised a formula to try to get 10 vegetables a day. 
that have the most powerful anti-cancer effects, but keeping that glucose below, I think it turns out less than 17 grams a day. So focusing on lower carbohydrate vegetables is a big priority to make this diet as therapeutic as possible. And I think that that's where people following the ketogenic diet can kind of miss the boat a little bit. It's like, let's make sure that we're getting garlic and mushrooms and fresh herbs and those type of things in because that's where you're really getting all these phytonutrients that have very powerful anti-cancer effects. So it's not as many vegetables as, you know, say a paleo diet, paleo type diet or a vegan type diet where maybe people are doing, you know, all vegetables all day. Um, but we still try to focus on getting as many in while keeping carbohydrates low. Right. And, and 20, 17 to 20 grams, that's, that's really low. And, and like I found, it's, <laughs> I think it's really difficult. But I think if you have cancer, you're probably really motivated to make that effort. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people want something that they can have control over because cancer can feel, make, you know, feel very out of control. And they want something to do in between, you know, waiting for a chemo treatment or a radiation. What can they do at home? You know, you can take charge of your diet and your lifestyle and start doing things, uh, you know, on your own that can make a difference. And so, yeah, people, people are really, really motivated. Um, and others aren't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, we are running out of time. I want to thank you, Jess Kelly, for an illuminating interview on these alternative theories of cancer and alternative therapies for cancer. And we will post a link to your book on our show website. Good luck with that. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. This week's show was produced by me, Beth Bennett, and expertly engineered by Maeve Conran. Additional contributions by Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Joe Jackson. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran. And I'm Beth Bennett.